It's time to rethink everything, to redo the rulebook, to explore smarter ways to work and actually rediscover what's possible. It's time for a fresh take on how technology and creativity are changing the way work gets done. I'm Brian Rowley, and this is The Big Rethink. Today's episode is kind of an interesting one. It's all about being our true selves to work um, and at work and what that really means. Our guest, Jez Rose, is a broadcaster, author, behavioral expert, and conservationist. He's been featured on a number of TV shows and podcasts focusing on authenticity at work, motivation, and actually what being human really means. And and sort of kind of a fun fact about Jez, um, he also lives on the world's first certified carbon neutral honey farm, uh, which actually is is designed to help reverse Britain's honeybee decline. Uh, His most recent book, Flip the Switch, Achieve Extraordinary Things with Simple Changes to How You Think. It, It actually offers real world examples to highlight why some individuals struggle to achieve and others just thrive. Honestly, what more could we ask for? Jez, welcome to the show. God, what an introduction, Brian. Thank you very much. Uh, you I mean, what more can we ask for? In the book. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Jez, let's jump in. Your, your background is actually pretty unique, and, and your focus lies sort of in that understanding human behavior at home and at work. Can you talk to us a little bit and give us some background sort of on your career and, and why passion in this area? Uh, that's a really good question. I So I started off in the health sector in the NHS, the National Health Service here in the UK. Um, and I had a short stint at Disney with the Walt Disney Company. Um, and when I came back to the UK, I sort of fell into corporate training. Um, but Originally, I started just focusing on customer service because the link between Disney and, and you know, kind of working in business was obvious. Uh, but I didn't feel really fulfilled by that because it wasn't getting to the real crux of the matter, the real issue, which was about people. Right. And, and it's that I remember reading that really corny phrase. You know, you know that I forget who said it. Let's not say their name because it is corny. Uh, but it's something like, you know, um, uh, people buy from people and you know, wherever there are people, businesses about people. And and the problem with cliches is that they get ignored because they're cliches. But the reason they became cliches is because they're really good, right? So uh, I thought, you know what? I'm going to focus uh, more on the things that really matter to me, <clears throat> which is human beings being better people. Because the one thing that's always fascinated me is just how quickly we normalize to things as people, we habituate, we get used to our surroundings and who we are. Um, and the problem with that is that it can hold us back because what we perceive to be normal and all that we know is literally been constructed because of our own comfort zones, our own barriers that we've created for ourselves. So, um, yeah, kind of odd start into this life. You know, 16 years later, I'm doing something very different with businesses and organizations all over the world. Thank you for the plug on the book. That's extremely kind of you. I wrote the book because of a piece of research that I did that looked at, again, super fascinated, Brian. The thing is, when you haven't got many friends, you find other things to occupy your life with, you know. And uh, (laughs) for me, it was research, right? (laughs) So uh, I thought, well, you know, why is it that some of my clients are knocking it out the park? Some businesses are doing really, really well. And some of them aren't. And that's okay. 
But what is the difference between somebody or a group of people or an entire organization that achieves something extraordinary and a group of people or an individual or an organization that just achieves ordinary stuff? You know, what, what's the difference between those two? Has it got something to do with management or is it the people that they employ or whatever? And so we did a piece of research over two years. That became the book, Flip the Switch, or, or the heart of the book, which is, you know, ultimately it comes down to very simple changes uh, to the way that we think, which can create extraordinary differences to the way that we behave. And of course, therefore, the results therein. So as I was doing some research for this episode, I mean, as you know, you often speak about the relationship between nature and human behavior, sort of as well as the importance of thought and vulnerability, both at work and at home. Talk to me a little bit more about this. I found this really interesting. Well, the difference between work and at home is, is I think, uh, broadly irrelevant to a degree. You know, what, what I'm interested in is, is the human and the human aspect of, it's very interesting that we are different people at work and that we are different people at home. There's a, an area of sort of authenticity uh, that I think is worth addressing there. Um, but maybe we come back to that in a minute. Uh, but the, the human yeah. and the nature thing is fascinating. This um, started before I moved here to the farm, uh, about a year before. I started a piece of research um, to begin to evidence the impact that nature had on human health, well-being and behavior. I read this study. Uh, remember, no friends, lots of time for studying. Uh, so, so I read this piece of research and uh, it was dated back to the 70s. A uh, huge, huge landmark study by um, uh, Professor Ulrich uh, in, in the 70s, who essentially, in a nutshell, discovered that if you were recovering from surgery, had a, two sort of uh, cohorts of patients, one cohort were allowed to see nature, a natural scene throughout their hospital view window. One uh, cohort were um, placed so that they could only see a brick wall. The patients that saw nature recovered quicker, they required less intervention, they had less complications, and they required less analgesia, less pain medicine to recover from than those who could only see a brick wall. This was then repeated again in 2013, I think, with uh, a larger cohort of cardiac patients, and they took it a step further. So there were six different uh, natural scenes, or five different natural scenes and uh, a blank wall, um, and again, exactly the same thing. Those patients who saw the babbling brook and the trees and the woodland scene recovered much quicker, less complications, and were happier at the end of the uh, period of recovery than those people who looked out onto any of the others. They're pretty remarkable pieces of research. But what fascinated me was if it was that significant, why weren't we doing more with it, right? It was that easy. So I start to dig a little deeper, Brian, and what I find is that um, Purcell did a study in 2015. This applies only to the UK, but I suspect it applies broadly across, actually globally, broadly. Um, they discovered that prison inmates in England, uh, Scotland and Wales and Ireland spend more time outside than children do. Uh, and then, of course, there was another study, um, study I was involved in uh, 18 months ago, which showed that in London, more than 70% of people uh, didn't notice nature on their daily commute, despite the fact that statistically there are more trees in London than there are people, one of the biggest capital cities, right? Um, and then the third piece of research, which again was super stunning, came out of the uh, uh, University of Minnesota uh, to begin with, and then it's been replicated a couple of times, showed that if you have a desktop plant, a house plant on your desk, or within your immediate sort of working environment, you're likely to score minimum 15%, up to 25% happier and more efficient because of the presence of that plant. So this stuff was blowing my mind. And here I was moving to the farm thinking, 
there's something we should do with this. We should work out what more there is that we can learn about nature. What we've forgotten, Brian, is that intrinsically humans are much closer and interconnected to nature than we perhaps admit to, you know, then actually we've distanced ourselves from the real world. You know, we've built houses and we've built man-made structures and we've gone super sleek design and minimalism and we've rejected nature to an extent. And yet the other side of that window there, there is the answer to an awful lot of our own social problems, our own health problems and our own mental health benefits as well. So that is where I started to say, okay, we have to bring this workplace, home place thing together. Stop the idea that you're a different person at work and a different, you're still the same human. You still have the same core needs. You, still, you just have different boundaries, right? Um, and that's where that piece of research started, yeah. Well, let's talk about that for a second because I think at work, regardless like of what line of work you're in, you know, it's always that imperativeness to, to sort of be productive and efficient, sure. right? And there's always this, I think, and, and we've kind of become conditioned to it that, to appear perfect, right? Whether it's in front of your teammates or colleagues, but I think most importantly, especially in front of your managers. So the focus on sort of bringing your best self to work and, oh yeah, leave those human parts at home, I think is something that we've all sort of heard and at one point in our career sort of become conditioned to. So I think what you're saying sort of argues against that, right? That that authenticity and, you know, and being authentic is is who you are, and it doesn't matter workplace or home life. You're essentially that you should be focused on that piece of it in both. Is that is that fair? Wow. Well, it is fair, but man, I wish more bosses were like you. Um, but <laughs> um, it, it is fair. That is what I'm saying. The reason that is rejected is fundamentally because of fear. You know, HR executives are worried that they're going to be, there's people everywhere. You know, if, if they say, okay, you can be you, be authentic, be vulnerable. They're worried that there's going to be people opening up a tattoo parlor in the staff canteen and there'll be somebody else, I don't know, smacked off their face in the photocopier room and they'll have, I don't know, the HR, there'll be people everywhere going, oh, I just can't cope. It's not going to be that. You know, the reality is that we are human beings. We are sentient. We are emotional. That is exactly, we are vulnerable. We are, we are many things as human beings. We are loved. We are loving. We are complicated. Um, we are uh, resilient. We are happy. We are sad. We are many things. The workplace should be a supportive environment because as we've seen time and time and time again to the point that it is exhausting. You know, I often talk to people about changing behavior and managing behavior and one of the first things I say is, you know, we can talk real top level psychology here. We can talk, you know, we can go really complicated. But you know what? I'm not even seeing the basics done right. So let's just start at the simple stuff. <laughs> let's try and do those things yeah. we know that are going to create great changes and great results. And then we can get more complicated as we go on. Um, but this fear prevents people from saying, OK, look, we support you. Um, I think it's to do with uh, dominance. Uh, I think it's to do with people feeling uh, insecurity. You know, I, I spent a, a bit of time working in leadership uh, that came out of one of the pieces of research I did. Um, I really should get more friends. Um, but, you know, that that period of time, I was asking managers and leaders all over the place, you know, how many of you have done some leadership training, you know, to get to where you are? And they all put their hands up and say, great. How many of you got a manual or something? Yeah, yeah, I got a book, I got a manual. And I would say, you know, how many of you have read every single one of the pages of that manual? And maybe 5% of the room would then put their hand up. 
And then I would ask the question, how many of you at home are in, sorry, how many of you at home or at work have got a book on leadership or management, like Who Moved My Cheese or one of the classic, you know, international bestsellers? Almost everybody would put their hands up. And what I would say was, so what that tells me is that either and or you didn't get sufficient training to be a manager or a leader, so you felt you had to get the knowledge elsewhere, or you still don't feel that you have sufficient knowledge or, or confidence, so you're still looking to seek knowledge elsewhere. Um, and so if then what you're saying is, okay, be vulnerable, and as a leader or a manager, your vulnerability is saying, I don't have the answers, I don't know what to do, you're worried that you'll get that taken away from you. You go, oh, well, you're not a very good manager. And the irony, Brian, is that, you know, from a behavioral perspective, oh, it stresses me out so much, you know, is the best value that a manager or a leader can bring is vulnerability, is authenticity to say, I don't have the answers, but collectively as a group, what do we need to do together? What do you think we should do to move us forwards? Where do we go? Because leadership isn't efficacious when it's dictatorial. It's most effective when it's inclusive, when everybody feels they have an ownership, not only to the journey, but to the end result. Yeah, I think the the the, the ability to tie vulnerability, and I think uh, a follow-on to that is even empathy, into the way you work as a manager are all critical. Because I think you have to, in order to get the most out of anybody, work life, personal life, you have to show some level of vulnerability um, so that you can become relatable. I think I think that's a really important part. And, you know, I would say, and, and I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but I think as we move through this pandemic and that separation between work and home, many of us have worked for the past year plus at home. So now what's, there really shouldn't be, a, I mean, you're, you're essentially in your home 24 seven, right? I mean, that's really where you are. So Maybe we'll see some of that shift happen um, as, as sort of time progresses. Yeah, I would imagine so. I mean, the I think the greatest change we're about to see is people having to adapt again. It's another change all over again, you know, as we head back into the workplace. I mean, people talk about the new normal and that infuriates me as well, you know, because normal doesn't exist. What normal is for me right. will be very different to what normal is for you. So there's never been a normal there will never be a new normal. We're not moving into anything that's normal. We're just adapting and changing like we do as human beings. Um, and we're very good at adapting and evolving um, and, and being able to do that. That fear factor is because of these perceived boundaries that we've created. Um, and this is sort of going back to one of my points I made earlier. We can only be more authentic if we are more vulnerable. Uh, we've got to be able to get rid of those or at least be willing to move those boundaries we put there. You know, your own comfort zones, you created, you put the barriers there, you decided where was acceptable for that comfort zone to be and where you felt uncomfortable. So you have the ability to move those, to expand them or to contract them, or, you know, you decide entirely whether something is comfortable or not, or whether you could perhaps, um, uh, you know, be more comfortable doing something slightly different outside of your comfort zone. Um, and so, that fear that holds us back, you know, prevents us from being who we really are, I think is very difficult, um, broadly because it's not addressed enough. It's one of the reasons I want to talk about it more, because the more we talk about things, the more it normalizes the situation for everybody. You know, there's reasons why people won't want to be themselves at work, because they fear how that is going to change how people respond to them, or whether it has a detrimental impact to, you know, the way that they can work or be as efficient or accepted at work. 
but those very people who they're afraid of have those very same restrictions and those same fears, but in a different space. Um, and I think the more we talk about the idea of being authentic and what that means to you, and the more I, we talk about, you know, authenticity starts with vulnerability. It starts with being able to just strip some of these psychosocial barriers, the, our own comfort zones, and look at yourself in the mirror and say, what really matters to me? You know, what, what's important to me? Um, a really quick story. Do we have time for like literally like a 30 second story? I'll tell you real quick about um, a sure. coaching. Yeah, we can cut it out. doesn't matter. Can it? <laughs> and we, it was a coaching client I had um, who was a, a, a chief operating officer of a brand that you would know. Uh, so I won't say the brand that he works at uh, here in the UK. And um, I'd been coaching him for um, maybe eight or nine months. I got to know him relatively well and his family situation too. And he rang me, uh, he asked for a, an out-of-context call, you know, non-scheduled. And he said, I've been offered this job. Um, it's a job I've always wanted. It's, a, it, it, it's the next step up. It makes me CEO. Um, and it comes with a massive, I mean, you know, big pay rise, the, the new car, all that kind of like, you know, the sort of superficial stuff in many ways. He said, but the problem is it changes my work um, schedule a bit. And I have to be there early on a Tuesday and late on a Tuesday because the Tuesday was the reporting day and they needed all of the kind of particular people involved in that reporting to be there. Yada, yada, yada. Okay, fine. And I, and he, I said, so what, what's the problem? Because it sounds like you're, you're you know, kind of conflicted about accepting it. He said, I don't think I can do it. He said, they've offered it to me and me only. Uh, there was loads of competition, people that wanted it. And they basically said, we want you. We're not even going to, you know, um, interview for it. And I said, well, that's an incredible position to be. And he said, yeah, but I take my son swimming on a Tuesday. I said, okay, can you take your son swimming? And if he said, no, the swimming lesson is on a Tuesday. He has autism. It's really important. It's the same day all the time. He said, and that's my time. Like I have like an hour. And he said, and there's no way I can do that. You know, the commitment is, this is a big deal. You commit to all of it or none of it. So he turned it down and everybody rang him, you know, what can we do? Why, what on earth are you doing? This is a huge deal. Yada, yada. And he said, I just can't because actually what's true to me, you know, his vulnerability was being truly authentic to himself and saying, actually, the most important thing on that Tuesday is for me to take my son swimming. It's about him. It's about his son. It's about the bond between them, et cetera, et cetera. And I thought that was just the most remarkable demonstration of sacrifice because... Yeah. Commendable. That's the bit Commendable. we don't talk about is that authenticity sounds great. It will become a buzzword in the next kind of 18 months, two years in the corporate sector. I'm sure of it. We'll all be, you know, we want to be authentic. Brands saying they're authentic, not really knowing what it means, but it comes with sacrifice. And you have to know that at the top end. Well, and I think, you know, whether we call it authenticity or vulnerability or empathetic, I mean, it really does boil down to being human. And just sort of pulling this together and saying, you know what, I'm a human being. And, and as pointed out by that, that CEO opportunity, I mean, the human side to that will tell you exactly what you should or shouldn't be doing. And if you just listen to that more often, I think, I think people would be um, a lot happier with some of the outcomes of, of the things that they're, they're up against. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, the idea that we can't, you know, I, <laughs> a few months back, I... I started on social media asking people what it was to be human because uh, I'm starting this project called Human. Um, and one of, the, um, one of the core aspects for me was understanding really what other people thought about the idea of being human and what that meant to them. And 
I asked a very simple question, what does it mean to you to be human? And it opened up this massive can of worms. I had people saying, oh, that's a massive question for a Monday morning. And oh, that's far too deep. I'll have to give that some thought. And whoa, Jez, like, this is going too far now. And God, I've never thought about that before. And, and every answer pretty much was different. And I thought, well, here's something really interesting, isn't it? You know, you are a human. That is you. You know, and if I'm asking a simple question, like, what does it mean to be human? And you don't even know. Well, then therein starts the very core part of my problem, right? Is that actually this is something that needs addressing. We need to talk absolutely. about it more, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Jess, thanks so much for joining. I, I truly, really enjoyed our conversation. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed it too. So before we sign off, if you enjoyed this podcast, help us grow by visiting our feeds on iTunes to rate, review, and subscribe. Or if you're listening on Spotify, be sure to hit follow. That's it for us. Jez, thanks again. I'm Brian Raleigh, and that was another episode of The Big Rethink. Mm-hmm.